0: book. And with that, I want to share Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, which says there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Amen. Can I get everybody to say amen? amen? So what that means is that we are all one church. We are all a bunch of goofy people with different personalities that have different preferences about things, that prefer things a certain way, but the Lord has called us to come together as a universal church and be about something bigger than ourselves. Luke's got something to say. I think he's got a word this morning. <laughs> That's right. I mean, I've been waiting for that kind of response for a while. He's, we had somebody run to the altar today, um, well, we're all called to be about something bigger than ourselves, and and as part of the universal church, but that's also part of the local church. And we have two wonderful people today that we are going to induct as new members of our congregation. So at this time, I'm going to invite Dave and Karen Mays to stand or remain seated if you would like. And Dave and Karen, we had a chant that you know, many of you know, obviously, all of you know Dave and Karen by now. Uh, they've been um, attending our church for... Three is it two or three years now, Karen? Three, about three years now. But we we usually see you guys every Christmas Eve. We typically see you guys almost every Christmas Eve since I can remember. Um, and and today they've they've decided to, to transfer their membership and they're going to become a, a consistent, permanent part of this body. I just said the word permanent just in case so you could hear that, okay? Um, and today we're going to get the chance, the privilege to induct them as new members. And so at this time, I want to ask our deacons to come forward and just stand right here for a second. But because before we do this, this is like a marriage. And uh, Dave and Karen and I have had about four, about three or four different talks just in your living room about various things. And we spent some time uh, about three, four weeks ago, just going through the membership course that many of you have had a chance to, to go through and just spent some time together encouraging and commissioning each other on what it means to be a part of the church today. One of the things that always comes up in that class is that you notice there's a lot of things that churches are about that weren't in the Bible. And you also notice a lot of things that were in the Bible that the church was supposed to be about that the church isn't about that much today. And so sometimes we need to get together even on mornings like this and remind us that we have a commission from God's word um, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Dave and Karen have made the decision to become part of this congregation, and be part of this community as we fulfill that mission together. So as this is like a marriage, I'm going to have a couple vows for you to say, and then the congregation is going to have a vow up there that they will, will share in just a few moments in response, okay? So after this one, you will say, I do, okay? Friends in Christ, as you have previously made a confession of your faith and been members of his church, we rejoice in your decision to become members of this congregation in full covenant relationship with the believers who worship and serve God in this place. And do you now, in this moment, reaffirm your faith and in loyalty to Jesus Christ, our Lord, and his gospel? If so, say, I do. And as you unite with this church... Will you worship, serve, and share in its program, supporting it by your earnest prayers, regular attendance, loyal service, and faithful stewardship as God gives you strength? If so, say, with God's help, I will. Amen. Well, do you, last one. Do you promise to live and share with us in the bonds of Christian fellowship, giving and receiving Christian love, sharing and bearing one another's joy and pain? If so, say, I do. Amen. And now, this is for all of you as well, for the deacons. Your congregational vow is right up there. If you can turn and read that one there. Oh, that's right. You got the screens. Why aren't you guys listening to me? Okay. You got the one in the back. All right. Let's read this together. We welcome you with joy and affection into this household of faith. We pledge to you our help, our prayers, our concern. That we may increase in the knowledge and love of God. We trust God for strength to follow you with you in Christ's way, keeping together the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Amen. Amen. At this time, I want to invite our deacons, if you can just kind of make your way around them, like in a circle there. And you you don't have to lay hands on today, but uh, extend your hands forward, and we're going to invite all of you to join us uh, as we have a word of prayer together. All right? Let's pray. Well, Lord, we thank you for the privilege that it is to be in Christian community. And we recognize it is a responsibility, it is a choice, and it's also something that we revere when members say yes to be part of a local body. It says something about them, but it also says something about us. We now have a mutual responsibility to each other to encourage and empower each other to grow in the name of the Lord. There's this mystery that as we are part of a church, we're reminded that there are people here that we need, and there are also people here that need us. And this will happen on different times and often at times when we least expect it and often not even on the terms that we would choose. We need each other. And as part of this body, as Dave and Karen are joining, we are excited because we know we will all continue to grow eat together. And we will be better people because we have them in our lives. So, Lord, thank you for this unity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, Dave and Karen, the deacons have a, a gift. The deacons have a gift that they have given you, and that, is, uh, that gift will be as uh, a symbol of what it means uh, to, be a, to be a servant in Christ's kingdom, uh, a great symbol of uh, the Brethren Church as well as who we are together. So you don't have to open that now, but just want to let you know that's what is in there, all right? We usually get Bibles, but Dave and Karen said they have a whole library of Bibles, and they said, "We just don't need another Bible, but thank you. So, so we have another gift, especially for them. All right, at this time, I'm going to turn it back over to the Pam Cunningham.
1: <laughs> wow, that was pretty awesome. Welcome. I mean, not the turning it over to Pamela Cunningham, but the induction of Karen and, uh, and David. And now it's time for joys and concerns. Do we have any joys and concerns? Yes.
0: We have a friend outucky uh, named Bill Edwards. He uh found out Friday has cancer, and he's gonna find out this week
1: what stage and how bad it is. We wanna remember Bill Edwards, a friend of Rodney and Ruby's, that has, has found out that he has cancer, and he'll find out this week. More of the what will have to be done. Yes. My stepson Jimmy passed away. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. We want to lift up Don and his family. His stepson Jimmy passed away and we want to lift them up for comfort and and let let them know that God has you know is comforting there for them Is there any others? I'm sorry, Karen. You're invisible. Believers in, <laughs> uh, okay, <laughs> and uh, it is such a warm and welcoming church family, and we thank you for allowing us to become part of it. You're welcome. We thank you, and we love you, and we're glad you're here. Yeah, Jacob? Uh. Aaron Brady. We want to keep Aaron Brady, he's a son of one of Jacob's um, co workers, in prayer. Lift him up. He's been in intensive care. He had a severe head injury. And uh, we want to pray for his healing. Pam. I'd like to keep Janet Harden's family uh, in our prayers. She passed away Friday night, and that is my boss. Oh, sorry. Nelson Harden. Her husband is my boss. This is his wife, Janet. We want to keep Janet J- Harden. Harden. Janet Harden's family in prayer. She passed away. This is Rhonda's boss's wife. We want to keep them in prayer. Yes. Chelsea and Baylor. Josie Maywell that I for prayer. old. She is Good. Good. Josie Madewell, that Chelsea had asked for prayer for, is home and doing well. Any others? Bruce? We were away last week with family, and we had a really good time, a great time with family,
0: and it's good to be back with our church family.
1: It is. We were away with family in Virginia last week, and as much as we love them and miss them and had a good time, it's good to be home and, and be back in church with our church family in our own bed and chairs. <laughs> Those grandkids can wear you out the older they get, and they don't have anything to comfortable to sit on and sleep. Is there any other prayer requests or joys? All right, let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you for bringing our church family together this morning to worship you and blessing us with David and Karen as our newest members. Thank you for the blessings and joys you never get tired of giving us. We pray for healing and comfort for our loved ones and those in need. We lift up the unspoken, for you alone know our hearts. This coming week, help us make wise, godly choices that will honor you. Make each of us your instrument of love and forgiveness so that others can know you through us. Straighten our path, Lord. When we stumble, pick us up and assure us of your forgiveness, grace, and love. Anoint Pastor Brody with the Holy Spirit as he brings forth your word, and we in turn will be fed by it. Praise be to your holy name, O God. We ask this as we pray the prayer you have taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven All right, we're going to dismiss the little ones for Children's Church. And we'll sit this hymn out. We're going to sing Take My Life and Let It Be. Our scripture reading for this morning is Matthew 24, 26 to 35. So if you've got your Bibles and want to read along, you need to open them because it won't be on the overhead. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will it be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other now learn this lesson from the fig tree as soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out you know that summer is near even so when you see all these things You know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass
0: away. Thank you so much, Pam, for getting through all of Matthew 24. Where did you start? 26, right? 26 through 35 but i gotta i gotta tell you pam's voice is a little too sweet and nice to be reading all of these words well what's the guy's name who's who's darth vader's voice what's his name Earl is earl jones jr is that right james earl jones that's right i think this is this may best be read by him okay when it says so it says wherever there is a carcass there the vultures will gather the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. This is what this passage is really like in Matthew 24. But we I, we, I put that question up last week. I, I, I said, are these the last days? Now, th- th- what inspired this message is simply the fact that I was asked that question. I could probably count on two hands how many times I was asked that question um, by pe- some people that attend this church and some people that just know I'm a pastor for, you know, somehow. And like you know, all this stuff that's going on is—I mean—is this it? Is this really it? Are these the last days? And um, so today, I wonder if some of you still uh, have those kind of questions. If you still wonder about those kind of things, and and so we're going to try and answer—we're going to try and answer, we're gonna try and answer that, those questions for you the best that we can today. But we are going to get into a book, uh, a chapter of of the Bible in Matthew twenty-four that Pam has already read a portion of. I'm hearing an echo. Is that is that the Facebook? <laughs> okay. Try, try to figure out. Okay. Um, in Matthew 24, we have a passage of the Bible that is in a language, uh, uh, excuse me, a, a literature genre that people call apocalyptic literature. Now, that means... Um, well, the word apocalyptic just just basically has to do with something being revealed. You kind of get two words put together to uncover or to unveil, to, to bring about a revelation, to understand something that we don't know all of the details about right now. And the challenge with apocalyptic literature, it is that it is often very metaphorical. It is, doesn't, we don't know often which time period it speaks to. It is written in such a way that these are signs and these are things that you can expect, but you're not going to know how exactly all of this is going to work out. I could say a lot more about that, but I think you get the point. So some other books in the Bible that are considered apocalyptic are, of course, the book of Revelation, of course, the book of Daniel, many portions of the book of Daniel. We have apocalyptic portions in the book of Zechariah. Um, We have some portions as well in the book of Ezekiel, um, and many people try to pull uh, some of Isaiah and some of Isaiah's prophecies into apocalyptic literature and having a future meeting. And so before we get into this book, before we get into Matthew 24, we've got a lot more reading to do, and I'm not going to do my poor, you know, James Earl Jones voice when I read it, I promise. But but I want you to understand just a little bit about ways— people have been interpreting apocalyptic literature um, with the ways, the different ways that scholars interpret apocalyptic literature. So here are these things, and we're not going to spend a bunch of time on them, but it is good for you to understand this if you are a student of the Bible that ever picks up one of these books, okay? The first way that people interpret these things is preterist. Now, the reality is, there's a lot of truth to preterist interpretations. This Matthew 24, even some things in the book of Revelations. Preterist means that many of these things that were foretold by Christ were fulfilled pretty quickly after this, this prophecy. That many of these things were already fulfilled right after Jesus talked about them. And um, you'll, you'll hear me mention the abomination that causes desolation. Well, when you hear scholars talk about that, they like to talk about Antiochus Epiphanes, which took place in the Maccabees. Well, that actually, uh, we're past the Maccabees at this point. When Jesus is saying that, Antiochus Epiphanes already happened. Many people believe that he was referring to Titus, who was going to be one of the next emperors of Rome. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But what but, but Jesus is referring to something that was getting ready to happen in the next in the upcoming years, you know, ten to twenty years. Okay, that's most people. There are people that just look at apocalyptic literature from a preterist only point of view. These things will fulfilled immediately after they were spoken. Okay, then of course there's also the futurist point of view, which is the opposite of that. That none of the things in apocalyptic literature have been fulfilled yet. They're all talking about something that's going to take place down the road in the future. And then you kind of get into the complicated one, which is the historicist historicist dispensationalist is another way of saying it, which is kind of the most popular translation of the book of Revelation and things like Matthew 24, where people try to piece it all together in mixed ways, like, well, this was fulfilled immediately. Um, this is what's going to be fulfilled in the future. But actually, this one has dual meanings because it was fulfilled here at this point in time, but it's also a type and a metaphor of how it's going to be fulfilled in the future. That's where you get that historicist, dispensationalist interpretation of apocalyptic literature. And then there's the fourth one, uh, which is the idealist, which is say that you can't even try to interpret any of this stuff Because you're not supposed to. It's all a metaphor. It's all an ongoing ideal, a metaphor of good and evil. And it's all metaphoric language that is not meant to be interpreted literally. And then there's the last. I think you can understand that fifth one, which is literal. To say that this stuff needs to be interpreted literally. That means it's not a type or a metaphor. It literally means that, that... um, certain dragons are going to come out of different places. Well, that's you don't see that in Matthew 24, but but you see that in the book of Revelation. You're going to see this creature with all these different heads, and it's, it should be interpreted literally. Okay. Now, you want to know the problem with apocalyptic literature? It's not a problem, but all of those are technically true. Well, they really are. There's there's parts of this that we can interpret in a preterist perspective from a futurist perspective from a dispensationalist perspective from an idealist metaphoric perspective and of course literal the a thousand reign of christ in the book of a thousand year reign of christ in the book of revelation revelation is most scholars believe that is something we can take literally okay now i share that all that stuff with you before we get into this book because it is a big book, and I want to read all of it today. I want you to know these kinds of things before we read this. Because how many of you just, well, I'm not going to have you raise your hands, but if you have your Bible, okay, go ahead, read through your Bible with me this morning, okay? If you don't have your Bible, not yet, but in a minute, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes while we read through this text. Because I want to ask a couple questions of you this morning, and and that's going to be, to consider, imagine what these days will be like, okay? What's being referred to in Matthew 24. But then here's the one I want to hear from you at the end of the reading. How may we see, when you, heard, when you hear the reading of Matthew 24, how do we see some of these things already happening in our world today, okay? That's the question I'm going to take hands raised to answer that question when we're done with this passage. How many of you here, what are things do you see may already be happening that are mentioned in Matthew 24? Okay. so I want you if you don't have a Bible, it would be better if you just close your eyes and listen. Okay. if you have a Bible, we're not going to put it all up here because it's a lot of words and you can get confused and be squinting and, and trying to figure out what it was that that we said. So I just want you to relax and listen and imagine. Okay. so before we do that, let's pray as we read the Lord's word. Well, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you in a moment on this Sunday. We can allow one of the the hardest books of the gospel to interpret in Matthew 24 to speak to us. And that is the beauty in this word is that there is so much truth that is applicable for today If we will slow down and listen to what you are telling us, to what you are commanding us, to what you are commissioning us, rather than get bogged down by all of the details and all of the things that we don't know. What a universal truth. May we learn to be obedient to your word rather than consumed with all of the things that we don't know with all of the things that are out of our control. The living God has a word for us today. It's time we respond to your truth rather than lean into our assumptions and our agenda and the ways and the patterns of man. Speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so a lot of reading to do. Again, I want to invite you, if you've got your Bibles, Follow along with Matthew 24. If you don't have your Bibles, close your eyes. Imagine what this time is going to be like. And also consider how these days we are in may already be similar to some of the things that are being spoken of in Matthew 24. And we'll hear your answers when we're done. Okay? Let's read. Matthew 24. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him. To call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things? he asked. Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another, every one will be thrown down. And as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, When will this and what when will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of age? And Jesus answered. Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming, I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all of these are the beginning of birth pains. And then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. And at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see standing in the holy place, The abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel. Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. And how dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. And if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. And at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah or there he is, do not believe it. For the false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, and if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. Here he is in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible, even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now, Pam had read all of this, so I'm going to skip down to verse 36. But about that day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. From the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. And up to that day, Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field and one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, Keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the Master has put in charge of the servants in his household? to give them their food at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose that that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour when he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Thus saith the Lord in Matthew 24. Now, as I read quite a bit of that, read all pretty much all of that chapter with Pam's help, I want to just real quick, before we get into this, ask you that question. What if, what if, did you, re, did you hear me read that you sense maybe has taken place today that you saw in that text? Anybody have anything that stuck out to them that you'd want to share? What was that? Anything that you, when we were reading that you heard kind of going on in Matthew 24 that sounded similar to some of the things that are happening today. Rumors of of wars, yeah, wars and rumors of wars, great. Famines, great. Anything else? False prophecy, good. Abomination that causes desolation. Make a song out of that, huh? Uh, The way it rhymes. Okay, so, so a third temple and someone being in that temple to cause an abomination that causes desolation. Good. Now, part of what we just did right there is what we are supposed to do. And honestly, we're not really supposed to do much more than that. Now, here's why. I wanna, it's okay to study these things. It's okay to interpret these things. It's okay to spend some time talking about could-bes. But I want to give you the answer to my question. Here's the question. Are these the last days? Next answer. Yes, that's the purpose of Matthew 24 and 25, which is called the Olivet Discourse. I preached from Matthew 25 last week. That's what Jesus is communicating to his disciples from the point before he died upon the cross and was resurrected. He needed to communicate to them the urgency that he is returning soon. And so every generation has always asked that question. And the answer to that question has always been, yes, they are. We have to to grasp this for a minute because we live only in our little time period and the 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 Old Testament, I, I might butcher this a little bit, but I believe it, uh, most scholars would say that that one took approximately five to six thousand years, the span of time from the from Genesis to the end. I could be wrong; it might be closer to seven. I used to know the answer to that, but but at that point, the New Testament is approximately two thousand years from since from from then. We are about two thousand years later, and so still there's still a reference and a reality. That just as they were in the last days now, yes, we are in the last days today. But here's the other piece that everybody really wants to know. Can we know exactly when Christ will return? And the answer to that one is no. What does it say in Matthew 24, 36? Yes, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. Y'all got this really good. Yes, yes. Well, we're going to get to that in just a minute. Good question. Because you said season. Remind Nick. Remember in a minute that we said season. It took me so long to read all that chapter. We're a little behind now, but here we go. So, what do we do? So, here's here's what I want you to notice in this passage. We're we. This is what we always do. We always read this passage, and we we look at often. I mean, if you're like me and you're you're a Bible nerd, sometimes you look at all these crazy things that he's talking about. But in the middle of all of these crazy things. Jesus is giving us some specific commands. He is giving us some specific commands in the middle of all these things. So this, the answer to what we do, comes from what Christ is calling us to do when he's telling us about all of these things. That's the part of the the, the scripture in Matthew 24 that we need to be paying attention to. And so that's what we're going to pay attention to this morning. So I'm going to just go through a few of these. Um, This is pretty close to an exclusive list, but it's not an exclusive list. I tried to combine a few commands, but these are the commands of Christ in all of Matthew 24. And so here's the first one. First one, he says in verse 4, Watch out that no one deceives you. Verse 4, watch out that no one deceives you. It is easy to be deceived these days. It is easy because... You know, I've told you before, atheism is a new concept. It is a newer concept that I don't even know if it's much more than a thousand years old. I could be wrong than that, but it, but but it's a new concept that people are starting to believe that there is not a god. And and all throughout all of creation, people believed in something because if you if you've read the Old Testament, there were actually pretty crazy things that were happening, and the only explanation was a God or gods or of some way. People always have had a connection to the supernatural to know that this is not all about us. And so that is just one of many ways that we can be deceived that we are not created for a purpose, um, that our life is really just completely by accident. And you know that that is foundational to many of the teachings that are out there today that are completely self-seeking, completely Uh, about survival of the fittest and you getting what you want without giving a rip about anyone else and without giving a rip about any purpose in your life. I mean, uh, any purpose beyond that. So do not be deceived because false prophets will come and they will have enticing things to say that sound good but will be counter to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verse 6 he says, we all need to hear this one, See to it that you are not alarmed. And that reference in context is referring to wars and rumors of wars. Jesus is saying, "See to it that you are not alarmed. This is going to happen. It's been happening since the beginning of the creation of the world. It's going to keep happening. See to it that you are not alarmed because so and so because these things are now starting to come to place. Okay, So to not be fearful because all of these things are happening. This is expected. The wars and the rumors of wars are expected to take place. And then verse 16 through 20. Here's what he says. This one's interesting. He says, flee and pray for your flight. That means if you're taking, you know, United Airlines or whatever. It doesn't mean that. But he says, flee and pray for your flight when you see the abomination that causes desolation. I talked about that a little bit, um, about how Jesus is referring to this in Daniel. He's referencing Daniel, but after Daniel's prophecy was Antiochus Epiphanes, who took place in the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha is the section of the Bible that many Catholics have that, that Protestant churches don't have. And there's four books in the Maccabees that talk about this guy, Antiochus Epiphanes, who caused an abomination it causes desolation. He sacrificed a pig in the middle of the temple, which was a big, big no-no. And that language, the Jews of the day would have been familiar with. So it caused a rebellion. Judas Maccabeus rebelled, and then they began to overtake. So this is something they were all familiar with. And many could say that another one came with Titus. But the point here that Jesus is making is that there are going there? There will become circumstances in your life, whether you got yourself in these things or they've happened to you, that you need to get the heck out of. You need to to leave. You need to get out of this situation before it gets worse. And now we need to be people who are discerning that need to understand when those times have come for us and when those times have come where we are being restricted in some way. Uh, that we that we will ulti- that we could ultimately be destroyed, and we will ultimately c- come to a point without escape. This is what this warning is in Scripture. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, when you are in a in a context in a situation that is 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 operating counter to God, there may come a time where you need to flee. Now, I think this is interesting because. We're talking about end times, so I might as well say the word rapture. Okay, if I were to talk about the rapture, which is when many believe the calling up of the Lord, uh, which is referred to in Thessalonians, a time when all of the church goes up to be with the Lord, and many believe that they will return to judge all of creation. Now, that is a common theory called the rapture. Rapture just simply means caught up, that word is not in the Bible. Um, but that is a, what I just gave you is a pre-tribulation interpretation of the rapture. If I were to talk about the rapture, I could put up three different theories, pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, and post-tribulation, which has to do with the time of when that would happen. My point here is to say in American Christianity, we love pre-trib rapture. That means that we are going to, we're not going to be people that have to go through some of the scariest times on earth which is often referred to in Scripture as tribulation. And I don't know that that's not true. I probably lean towards that theory, but even as your pastor, I'll tell you I don't hold strong to any one of those theories because you see evidence of all of them in Scripture. And what Jesus is saying in this text is one of those that is counter to that, that counter to pre-trib, that he's saying times are going to get really wicked and you need to get out of those situations if you can doesn't sound like according to Christ. Just in this text, you got to take all this with the scope of all of Scripture. It doesn't sound like he's that you could be that confident in a pre-trib rapture from looking at a text like this. And so, all of these things are theories. Anything anybody's ever taught you about the rapture, I don't care what they think they know, it is theoretical. And but because the message that Jesus is saying is that you need to leave these destructive situations, so he says, f- uh, flee. And pay attention that you can get away, um, that your time wouldn't be too challenging. So it seems to to have a a hint that there would be a time of persecution in the earth. And that's always been an expectation in Scripture that Christians would be persecuted. I could say more about this, but I want to move on. Verse 23, verses 26. He says, do not believe it. And he's referring to. Those that have said, those that are saying that Jesus has come back. Because the important countertext to that comes right here in verse 27. Here's what Jesus says For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. In other words, you're all going to know. Everybody's going to know. Okay? It's not going to be some little pocket of the world here. They're going to say, we found the Messiah. This is really him. No, we're all going to know when he returns. As lightning is visible from the east to the west, we are all going to know about the return of Christ. And so there is one of the most practical things that you can understand now. If you would hear someone say, we have found the Messiah, Jesus is telling us right here, don't believe it. You're going to know when I return. All right? Can I get an amen on that one? It's right here in Scripture. So here's what he says. Nick, you talked about seasons This is the one that, this verse can really bug people sometimes. A lot of this stuff, I gave you all those interpretations, ways of interpreting this, because it is very hard to interpret, because you weren't supposed to interpret it. They are meant to be signs to point you to something. But what we are supposed to hear is the things that I'm telling you now, what Jesus is telling us to do. And in verse 32, he says, learn this lesson from the fig tree. This may be the main point of this whole message. He says, when the leaves get tender, summer is near. Now, the problem that I have with the season is that, has there only been one winter, and has there only been one spring? Right. And with the fig tree, was the fig tree going to show leaves one year? And then were they going to go away? And then are they gonna come back? And then are they gonna go away? And then are they gonna come back? See, part of what's what's that? Yes, the fig tree gets pruned. That's true. But what we see, and that, that goes back, now we gotta go back to the vine, which Jesus was, was just mentioned in, in John as well. But but what's what's going on here, guys, is that there have always been seasons where generations have seen. These kinds of things happen. And Jesus says, it. I like how he says that, at least in that text. He says, uh, where are we at verse Uh, 32? Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door okay then he gets into the generation will not pass away and all these kinds of things but there's a reality from the fig tree that we need to be reminded of that every generation has seen these things and believe that they are the the, the beginning of the end and here's the crazy universal truth are they yes These are the last days. Now, I know that sounds like, what are you talking about, Pastor Brother? This doesn't make sense. What you're saying doesn't make sense. What I'm trying to tell you is this is the urgency with which Scripture was written. Jesus is saying these things in Matthew 24 over 2,000 years ago, and he's telling them like he's grabbing them by the shoulders, looking in their eyes saying, you don't understand, I'm coming back, I'm coming back soon. You need to be ready. Some crap's going to come your way. Some stuff is going to happen. Don't be pulled in all these different directions. Be watchful, or for you, whether I return or not, before, before you die, for you, you will be taken and you will be deceived by these things. So this message has always spoken, been spoken from generation to generation. And we all have had our fig trees. We we other generations have had their moments of COVID-19. Some of you have not COVID-19, but those moments of wondering, oh man, what is this? What about the Cold War back in the 80s? We didn't know if when you guys used to have to go and have those drills, what'd you do? Get under your desks? Like for a nuclear attack that was gonna help you, right? Oh, I'm good. i got a. I got a school desk. If there's a nuclear bomb, we're going to be good right here. <laughs> Remember those days, right? Uh-oh. See? You, you, they've all had... What's that? There you go. We've all had, generation to generation, they've all had those moments. And Jesus' message is, is, is the same throughout Matthew 24 and in other apocalyptic books. You need to be ready, just as they do as the Jews do when they have, um, Orthodox Jews do when they have a Seder dinner like we're going to try to have sometime in the future. One of the last things they do is they leave a door open for Elijah the prophet. That's just a symbol. Elijah is one of the prophets that is believed to come, and he's going to come and prophesy immediately before the return of Christ in the middle of the tribulation, okay? Okay. But that is a symbol that speaks to them in that moment, just like the Bible should speak to us in this moment, that tomorrow, this could all happen. And if it doesn't, still tomorrow, for you, everything in your life could change. Everything that you hold so dear, everything that is so comfortable to you, could change. All of your foundations could be shaken, and they could all change, Are you ready for that? Spiritually, are you prepared? Are you founded on truth? If everyone wants to go in another direction that is different from you. This is the the command all throughout scripture that we must be ready. We must be prepared. And so here's what what, that's what the next one is. In verse 42, he says, keep watch because you do not know when the Lord will come. In verse 43 and 44, he says, but understand this, you are. Must also be ready. Whoever captured this in, in Revelation and in Apocalyptic Literature, that there is a clear reason why you're not supposed to know the day and the hour, because your commission on this earth is supposed to matter to you right now, in this moment. I know that not in five years from now. I know that doesn't sound that profound to you, but here's how we say this all the time. It doesn't mean it's supposed to matter when you feel a little better, when physically you start feeling better, when your schedule is not as busy, when you get older or or when, you get, or, or, or when things aren't as busy in your life. Um, it's not that your time was 10 years ago. We all need to be ready now because the text says, the text actually says in verse 44, for all of us, even Christians, so you must also be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. See, it's not the your knowledge of end times events that will prepare you for the coming of Christ. It is your watchfulness. It is aligning your life with the will of God, rather than the schemes and the agendas of man. And think of all of the patterns of the schemes and agendas of man that we can fall into. The patterns of comparison, the patterns of greed, the patterns of vengeance, the patterns of division, the patterns of pride, of self-pride. And see, the Lord works in ways of generosity. The Lord works in the ways of patterns of service. The Lord works in ways of integrity, works in ways of unity and forgiveness. As we've spoken of in recent weeks, affirmation. He's called us to speak life into each other and remind us of who we are, even as we prayed that prayer for, for Dave and Karen as they're part of our church today. Remind us of who we all are together. See, there's a pattern of life that you have developed at this moment. And even at this moment, you can change. Lift up your eyes and be watchful before the vultures gather, as the text reads. That's one of the sickest things in that verse. Where there is a carcass there, the vultures will gather. That's one way of saying sometimes the vultures do... Uh, that's basically that's one way of saying of, of creation being left over, turned over to the agendas and to the schemes of man, to letting people have what they want, and letting natural things do the Lord's work. And basically, they creating their own destruction. There's going to be lots of death, and there's going to be lots lots of death before the Lord comes. Another way of saying, just like we said last week, we need to dig it back up before it's too late. This is what the Lord is saying before it's too late. We have a commission to be watchful. Commission to be prepared. We have a pattern of life, all of us do, that we've fallen into. Some of those things may be good. Some of those things may not be. may be more influenced by our culture than by the will of the Lord. So as we close today, let's just take a moment and reflect upon our own lifestyle. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Well, Lord, as we come to the end of this message this morning, and we consider the will of the Lord. We consider the reality that you are coming soon. We like to know all the details. We like to imagine a little bit. These make good little movie clips that go through our head. But Lord, even as we study these things, I hear you saying these things don't really matter much. What matters to me is that you keep watch. It matters to me that you obey my words as you anticipate my coming. It matters to me that you know that even as a Christ follower, your life could change on you tomorrow. As far as my relationship with you, nothing has changed. I love you. You are my son or my daughter. But I don't want you to be influenced by the things of this world. So Lord, now as we sit here this morning, we must examine all the patterns in our life. We think about that this morning, that what we do when we get up, what we do, what we think about during the day, how we talk about people, how we talk to people, what we do with our money, what upsets us, the people we want to get back at, maybe the people that we want to serve, the things that we do with our time. May we examine our lifestyle and consider is this all, am I just following into an agenda that my culture has told me to fulfill? Or, Lord, am I yours? May a daughter, am I a son of the living God? Because, Lord, I want to serve you above everything else in my life. I pray this, this morning, Lord, as a reflection of this congregation. May our hearts. Be ready. May we be watchful. May we be yours. May we be ready to move when you say move, and respond to your call, as we anticipate your coming. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Well, at this.